Hello and welcome to episode 47 of ON The Saints. I'm Patrick Serlis. With me tonight is Jack Serlis. We will be briefly discussing the game, a disappointing 3-1 defeat to Arsenal at St Mary's on Tuesday night. We're not particularly excited about that, but stick around because afterwards we will be joined by Dan Sheldon of The Athletic. He covers Southampton for The Athletic. He'll be talking to us about a topic of much discussion in recent weeks, and that is Danny Ng's contract as well as his recent interview with Yannick Vestergaard and the future of Ryan Bertrand. Lots to discuss with Dan. He recently published an in-depth article on exactly what is going on with Ings' contract, and he'll be taking us through that story um, and getting us up to speed, basically. Stick around for that. First up, though, Arsenal. Second game in four days against the Gunners. Obviously, we won the first 1-0 in the FA Cup fourth round, progressing into the fifth round, but we couldn't repeat on Tuesday night, losing 3-1 in the Premier League. The main talking point from the game really remains depth or, or lack of it. Bertrand out suspended and Kyle Walker-Peters out with a quad injury. Remains to be seen how soon he returns. Romeo and Vestergaard are close to a return, according to Ralph. Musa Gineppo remains out. Salasu, God knows where he is. And Smallbone, Teller and Obafemi all out too. One piece of semi-good news before the Arsenal game was the return of Nathan Redmond, who made the bench and came on in the second half. Jack... 3-1 defeat. Disappointing was the word that I used in the intro. Um, what was your take on the performance? Exactly that. It was it was a disappointing result, but I think performance, there were some there were some positives. In that first half, we gave a decent account of ourselves. Obviously, it went 1-0 up with a with a goal straight off the training ground. We we seemed to try those those um corner routines every week and they're not really coming off. So it was great to see it come off, fall to Stuart Armstrong, and he got a great connection on it. So we made a really good start, but the warning signs were there from, from the first 10 minutes. I think Arsenal got in behind us twice. Um, one really dodgy ball from Bednarak. Um, let uh, Lacazette through and it was a brilliant save from McCarthy. And then Jack Stevens got caught on the ball and they punished us with um, Pepe's goal. So, yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw the team sheet today and you're looking at that back four and it's got Vokins and Valerie, um coming in for the two fullbacks, as you said, and then Stevens and, and Bednarak in there, you know that you're going to be a little bit short of confidence and you're going to be a bit exposed. And it turned out to be exactly that. I think when you're playing as a back four, you want to have consistency. You want to learn how each other play. You want to trust each other on the ball. And that's what Southampton do. We, we play along the back four and we, we wait for the opportunities. And when you've got a makeshift, makeshift back four like that, you know, it takes time to build up that kind of connection. We just didn't have it. Um, the weather didn't help. It was pouring down on the south coast, so it made it even harder for the defenders to get the foot on the ball. But, you know, disappointing. Some positives, but overall disappointing. And then it, it was a little bit similar to the Leicester game in the regard that we gave a good account of ourselves, but ultimately fell short because we just didn't have the personnel to compete with a much stronger team. Um, yeah. And I suppose the question for you, really, because I'm looking on Twitter at the Samson, Samson fans and everyone's talking about is it, is it the fact that we've been ravaged by injuries that's causing this poor form? That's one win in seven now. We've only scored three goals in those seven games. So it's a massive dip in form. Is it injuries or is it the lack of depth? What do you think? Um, well, I think when you talk about depth, you want, you want options in every position, really. You have your starting 11 or Ralph will have his starting 11 in his mind. But then he wants options where the drop-off from that starting 11 isn't too drastic. And I think looking across the squad, 
our depth is pretty good, apart from in one position, and that's at fullback. If you look in goal, we have options. If you look at centre-back, we have options. And obviously, Vestergaard and Salasu are out. I think Vestergaard, Salasu, Bednarak are our, are our top three options. I think Salasu was signed um, to be in that top three for sure. I don't think we would have spent £12 million otherwise. And Jack Stevens has been forced to play because two of the other um, two of the other players are out. Um, so I think we have options there. Stevens has faults. He was at fault partly for the first goal. We know that that happens when he plays. And unfortunately, it did again tonight. But thinking about it, we, we do have options in that position. We have options in the number 10 position. We have we have options up front. But again, Obafemi is out injured. Danny Ings has been out injured for a while. Um, uh, Shane Long is, is an option. Uh, <laughs> it's questionable whether he's a good one or not. But we do have options there. In midfield, we have... Diallo, Romeu, and Will Prowse. Now you'd you'd maybe like one more, and I think like Harrison Reed in an ideal world would have kind of been that fourth option. But we we have to make money, uh, and we got a fairly decent deal for moving him on. And obviously he wanted first team football, which is fair enough. He's not going to want to stay there, stay at St Mary's to be that to be that option. But he is the sort of player that you'd want in that position that you wouldn't have to call on too often. But when you did, you know that he can put in a decent performance. And unfortunately, at fullback, we just don't have that. Um, Jan Valery, he was okay, but I don't think that he's rediscovered anywhere near the form that he had when he was in the no. team before. Uh, and Jake Vokins, unfortunately, difficult afternoon for him up against a very, very in-form Saka. Um, don't want to be too critical of Vokins um, because it's a difficult situation to come into. But I think you look at that back four and you've got Valerie, Vokins and Stevens and you just know that the way that Ralph plays, it's going to be, it's going to be, um, we're going to be off it because we don't have the ability that Vestergaard does on the ball. We don't have the ability that Walker Peters does going forward. And we, we miss that big time. I think one of the sure. points that you made, I think earlier on Twitter was the fact that our build-up play from the back like that's how we that's how we start our play and, and Dan Sheldon actually talks about it in the article with Vestergaard is Vestergaard looks to commit one of the strikers or one of the midfielders um, at the back it's slightly risky but he looks to draw draw a, an opposition player in before pinging the pass out wide now the reason why you do that is because you take that opposition player out of the game when they commit unfortunately we had three players in our back four that were lacking confidence. And when you're lacking confidence, you don't have that ability to to hold onto the ball for that split second longer before passing it off. And we saw mm. in the in in the opening stages when Jack Stevens did try and do that and he just wasn't sharp enough and it got pickpot well, it got deflected and, and the goal came from it. And like you said, Bednarak as well. I don't think he had a huge amount of confidence in the ability of Valerie to be there to his right hand side to play those passes that he might have done had Kyle Walker Peters been there. So, I mean, it's a long answer. Ultimately, I think the injuries, I, I went through all the players at the top, so many first-team players out. We have been decimated by injury. I don't necessarily think that our depth um, is awful. It's just been stretched to the absolute limit because of the injuries and suspensions that we've suffered. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think we obviously got to be realistic and we're not going to have the massive amount of investment that other clubs have, but there are 
a couple key areas of the pitch. Fullback is obviously one of them. I would say that striker is another one of them. I know we've got Dannings and, and Shea Adams, but Shea Adams has been at Southampton now for you know a year and a half or so and hasn't been a prolific goal scorer. You cannot be reliant on Danny Ings to score 25 goals. I think to have those two and then your full-back options from them are a 34-year-old Shane Long and Dan and Lundelu who's making his first few appearances in the Premier League. I think another striker that could come in and maybe take the weight off those two is 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 needed. But mm-hmm. yeah, just I mean, back onto the... Sorry. I, I was going to say, on the defence, I mean, we've kept, we've kept five clean sheets in six games and that was amazing. Like They have done an amazing job considering the injuries. I just think it was a bridge too far this evening. You do look at that team sheet and... You did watch the first ten minutes, and and I immediately thought after that first ten minutes when Lacazette went through and 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 um, Pepe equalised, there were two amazing opportunities created our back nine. You're like, it's going to be a long night because Arsenal mm-hmm. are going to be able to do that almost at will with the players, the players that we had there. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, a bit more on a positive note, Stuart Armstrong put in one of his one of his better performances for Southampton, and that was him back to his to yeah. his best in my opinion, driving, committing players. Um, he put in a brilliant performance. On the other side, Theo Walcott was not not great, in my mm. opinion. He really wasn't great. He was shooting when the pass was on, and there was he was passing when the shot when the shot was on. So it's just his decision making was letting him down. Um, but yeah, Stuart fully deserved his goal, and, and he was brilliant. Um, and there were some Diallo again. Diallo, Diallo again. was he 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 just looks so he looks. <laughs> I don't want to say a class above but you do get that impression you know sometimes when he's, when a player's on the pitch and just everything they're doing looks effortless yeah um, and it's exciting that he's only 21 years old and he's he's just starting his Saints career and he looks so good already yeah because what, what I thought when we signed him not having seen too much from him was that I was expecting a you know someone that could break it up in midfield and was going to be brilliant at tackles and nicking the ball back but I wasn't really expecting him to be able to drive with the ball the way that he does and he has that turn of pace where you've got midfielders I think it was Xhaka and Party today top midfielders and they were chasing the shadow a few times and 21 years of age to be doing that against established midfielders is, is very encouraging but um, yeah into the, into the bottom half of the table now Pat, which is a shame I know. I just, I've just seen. So we're we're eleventh. Um, we do have, uh, well, we have a, Arsenal have gone above us. We have a game in hand on them. Twenty nine points at the halfway stage, though. I think it's been a successful first half of the season. Um, as you mentioned, a dip in form recently, but fingers crossed. There has been some more encouraging news on some of our players that are out injured, and, and obviously Vestergaard is a key one. Romeo is a key one to get back in there as well as Diallo and Walprowse have been doing in the middle. We just need first-teamers to return sooner rather than later. We've got Aston Villa up next on Saturday in the late game. Um, what are you hoping to see from the team in that one? Carl Walker-Peters on the pitch. <laughs> That's the big one, yeah. Carl Walker-Peters back on the pitch would be nice. That is the main thing that I want to see from the team sheet. But, you know... we. I think back at that game at Villa Park when we went 4-0 up against that, against Villa in the reverse fixture and they are a great team but we showed in that game that our our style of play was too much for them so fingers crossed that we get some of those key players back like you said and it won't be a similar game to today and a similar game to Leicester where they just have a bit too much for us not because they're better than us but just because of the personnel on the pitch on the day so yeah, just hopefully we have the players back and you know, I think it's going to be a really brilliant game I think that's an exciting mm. one to watch yeah, they are they are a very attacking side. Um, so fingers crossed we do get 
Walker Peters back. Um, kind of the club has been vi- pretty vague on on that quad injury. Um, so we we shall see. Moving on then to I don't want to say an equally as depressing topic as three one <laughs> defeat to Arsenal, but it's not. It's it's the subject of Danny Ings now. Obviously, a lot's been written over the past ten days, two weeks or so about his contract. Um, as as of now, unsigned. The club have made him an offer. Um, so far, he has not signed it. Um, but we wanted to speak to a man who who knows more than most when it comes to the inner workings of St Mary's and what's actually going on behind the scenes. Dan Sheldon, formerly the Saints reporter for the Daily Echo, now at The Athletic. Um, let's welcome him in to the podcast to, to chat about Ings and then also some of the other projects he's been working on, including a really uh, nice in-depth interview with Yannick Vestergaard. Very pleased to welcome Dan Sheldon back to the podcast. Dan's second time joining us, the first time being back in May when we did a Saints transfer special. At that point, Dan, you were a Southampton reporter for the Daily Echo. Since then, you've had a change of scene. You are now the main man for Southampton at The Athletic. I know you've been in the role for many months, but congratulations from us. How's it going so far? Oh, thank you, Patrick. Um, yeah, it's going really well. Um, really enjoyable, as I was just kind of touching on touching on earlier. It's it's fantastic to have the time uh, and the space to write things that I'd always wanted to write, but just never had the opportunity to at The Echo. Um, don't get me wrong, The Echo was a fantastic, it was fantastic. It really helped me and helped me kind of get my name out there with a few people in and around Southampton. But being at The Athletic in that kind of national kind of role or not national role, but you know, that big national outlet has really, really helped um, develop contacts, have more time to speak to contacts. I already had um, the, the network of journalists we've got at the athletic is it really is incredible. You know, if I'm working on something, I can ring up David Ormstein, for example, uh, that, mm. that kind of is just invaluable to me. I'm 26. So I'm still learning. I've got a long way to go, but to have guys like Ollie Kay. So I'm doing, I've got an interview coming out, soon with someone and I thought well Ollie Kay will be a good person to talk to to get a good idea of what this guy was like in a previous role so to be able to do that is just it, it's it's really invaluable. No it's, it's awesome I mean it's I, I was in media and it's um, when I was in the UK and now I'm in the US but it's like I can imagine it's something of a dream dream role to be to be at a publication like that. Oh absolutely absolutely and it's the the thing I really like there is it's every day they want to be better of course, because of the business model, we rely on people subscribing. So there's no there's no time to kind of sit back and pat yourself on the back. And I like that environment. It's every day you're on the phone. I'm on the phone to my editor and we're talking about, well, what can we do? Where's the next big idea coming from? What's happening in six months time that we can attack and do something really special on that no one else will do? So that that for me is, 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 is just fantastic, really. So the topic of today's conversation, um, well, the topic of every conversation that seems to be surrounding Saints at the moment is Danny Ings. You wrote an excellent article um, last week that laid out all the information uh, kind of on where we find ourselves at the moment. Just to kind of start, kick things off for those without a subscription to The Athletic, can you just summarise the latest that you know on Ings contract talks and what's driving what seems to be a bit of a hold up? Yeah. So, I mean, well, firstly, thank you for complimenting the article. I thought I didn't, you know, I, I cover Southampton, but that's not my role isn't to paint Southampton in a, an amazing picture all the time. So I thought I'd try and provide the most honest and fairest 
solution looking at both Danny Ings side of what's going on and Southampton side. So for those that don't know Southampton fans that may have been living under a rock for the last <laughs> few months, Danny Ings is obviously out of contract uh, at the end of 20 or June 2022. The club have been in negotiations with Danny since so those I explained in my piece, those talks started last summer and they're still at a point where he hasn't signed a contract. Now, as I made clear, and I think uh, Martin Simmons on, on BBC Radio Sodent over the weekend said as well, money has never been an issue. So to have that confirmed was was quite nice. Um, you know, there's no issue at all. Danny isn't asking for stupid money and Southampton aren't balking at paying him what he wants. Money is it's all boxed off, it's done. Where the issue lies really is Danny will, of course, has aspirations to play for a, a top, top side. Now, we all saw him at Liverpool. That ended probably not how he liked. I'm sure he feels as though he's got unfinished business at a top club. But then at the same time, Southampton want to protect what is their, their biggest asset. Um, so it's about trying to, with Danny's side, you've got him thinking, well, if I sign a, a, a new long-term contract, I'm going to be 29 before I even got a move anyway. Is, any, is a club going to come in and sort of pay the money that the market would demand for me, my injury record and my age and the fact that realistically, I'm not going to have much sell-on value? I mean, if you look at Danny Ings, as a 33-year-old, what's his sell-on value going to be to a club like Man City? Not a lot. It's going to be a big investment. It would take, it would take a big transfer fee. They'd have to pay him decent money. And at the end of it, you think, well, okay, well, thank you very much. Um, so that's, that's one way of looking at it. Um, so then how do you kind of come to a solution on that? And it's, so I, I touch on you know, a release clause or evaluation or a kind of gentleman's agreement where if it meant Danny Ying signing, now I think in that interview, Martin Simmons said that Southampton's preference isn't to really have a release clause. But then I think if it came down to it, just my personal opinion on this, if it meant Danny Ying signing and then there being a clause in there that let's say if Manchester United come in and they offer what we deem as fair. Now, multiple sources uh, in and around Southampton tell me that they value Danny at around 30 to 40 million. I mean, I think when you take into account everything I've mentioned on his injuries and his age and sell on value, et cetera, that's probably a fair, fair evaluation. And then you've also got Danny's side who naturally will want that to be lower because they're going to want, they're not going to want a Man City or a Man United to be put off by paying 40 million on a striker and then having to pay the wages on top, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where the the kind of, there's a sort of up to 20 million pound difference um, line came from. So I had sources telling me that the Ings camp are after kind of maybe 20, 25 million and Southampton were looking at sort of 30, 30 to 40. So you take the 20 and the 40 and there's your difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that is, it really just, just comes down to whether it is quite uh, it's still a very delicate stage, but from Danny's agent, from Danny's side or his agent who's handling it, and I think it's really important to stress that it's, I made that point in the piece that Danny is not involved in these talks whatsoever. He's not, you know, it's not him sat around a table with um, the St. Mary's hierarchy or anything like that. He lets his agent do it and he's able just to focus on the football, which probably helps behind the scenes from a point of view of him and Ralph because. They're both football guys and contract talks isn't getting in the way of that. Danny's agent's job really is to find Danny a buyer. 
Now, we all saw that article in the Daily Telegraph, mm -hmm. Danny Ings wants to play for a Champions League club. That is a come and get me plea. That's a, I'm available Champions League clubs. Who's listening? Mm -hmm. Southampton's kind of job is to perhaps show that these clubs aren't coming and that you're better off signing this contract. So we're really just at a bit of an impasse where if you're Danny Ings, you're not going to sign that contract in January anyway, because although it's been made clear Southampton won't sell him this month, I guess if you're Danny's agent, you're thinking, well, just don't sign it because you never know. If Man United come in and offer silly money, I'm sure Southampton wouldn't say no. So then it's a case of, well, what do you do? Do you leave it until the summer? And then you get a situation, which I touch on in the piece again, it's, well, if he hasn't signed a contract and no one comes in for him, where does that leave both parties? Because at some point, Southampton are going to have to think, right, let's say it gets to March, April and Danny's still not signed. And they're then thinking, well, we need to start lining up replacements. Right. Uh, do, we, do, do we wait for a Man City to come in in the summer? And then what happens if they don't? And then we're, you know, if we or if they do come in and we haven't, we didn't think that was going to happen because we thought he was going to sign. We're now short and we can't, we haven't got the time to go and sign a player. So there's so many different avenues it can go down. But essentially, the offer's on the table. They will make him the highest paid player at the club if he signs. Um, it will obviously be a long-term deal. And it's just, he's not signed it yet. So that really is where we're at. It's just a case, it's it's almost like poker. Mm -hmm. you know, who's going who's gonna to blink first? Will it be Danny's side or Southampton? Um, but the key thing is, is that in this game of poker, money is not the issue. It's okay. just a case of Danny has ambitions, which is absolutely fair enough. So he should have ambitions. Mm -hmm. um, and Southampton want to protect their asset at the same time. So I, I can really see and sympathise with both parties. Mm. Yeah, I think just listening to that, I think his ambitions at, at 28 is fully understandable. He scored 23 goals last season, got an England set up. He's probably thinking what's the point in me putting pen to paper now? Because I'm not going to gain anything from it. And, you know, if he does, it makes it very, very difficult for him to leave if an offer does come on the table. Because like you said, people aren't going to spend that money. Um, I think the, the key thing for me is just that we're discussing this in January. When we get to the summer, whether, you know, the needle might have shifted a little bit for the club, where they, where they think... You know, one year left on the deal. Do we just play him for the 2021-22 season and let him go as a player who's going to be nearly 30 years old and we've had four brilliant years from him? Or do we cash in and maybe take, try and get the £20 million back that we spent on him? So it's an interesting one, what we do next in the summer coming up, I think. And do you have, is there any indication from the club that you think, would they prefer to try and recoup their money or... Get as, get as much football as we can out of the player. Well, I think that's a, a really interesting way to look at it. And from conversations I've had privately and then most recently publicly with Ralph in the, on his press conferences, and again, Martin touched upon it in his interview with Adam Blackmore, they, are, they see Danny staying until the end of his contract. So if that means he runs out, he doesn't sign a new deal and he ends up leaving on a free agent, he leaves on a free agent, you get that extra season out of him. Mm. What Southampton don't want to do, and which is why they'd rather, if he doesn't want to sign, which is why they'd rather let his his deal run down in that case, is they don't want a situation where a big club comes in and pulls their trousers down. Mm. Danny Ings is worth a lot more than 10, 15, 20 million pounds. They don't want a situation in the summer where Danny's not signing 
and the best they can get is 15 million quid. What What's the point in that? Because you may as well keep Danny for a season because he'll probably make you a fair bit of money and prize money by getting you eighth, seventh in the league um, and then let him leave if that's the case. I mean, hopefully it doesn't get to that situation. I don't think anyone would like to see Danny leave on a on a free, uh, but I can, I can understand the club's thinking on that. I think that the resolution everyone wants is Danny just signs the contract and if, if they have to shake hands on a clause that says if Club X comes in and offers X amount of money, then do you know what, Danny, thank you very much. Mm. We won't stand in your way. I think that, I, for me, that's the best way forward. But of course, I'm not involved in negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> Let, I mean, we've we kind of talked about it from, from Danny Ng's perspective. And I think, you, again, it's something that you mentioned in the article as well, um, that potentially Man United would be his preferred destination. I mean, me and Jack have had conversations about it before just when we were talking about doing this podcast but realistically if I'm sitting there as Danny Ings obviously you've got ambitions to play at the top level and in Martin Simmons interview with BBC Radio Solo and he's very um, very open about the business model and, and if a top team comes in now he mentions Real Madrid several times hypothetically talking about this this super club but obviously Man United fit into that Man City fit into that from Danny Ings perspective how realistic is it if he's sitting there thinking that someone like Man City or Man United are going to come in for him? Because just from my personal perspective, it seems a little bit pie in the sky to expect someone like City or United to want to sign a striker that's going to be, if they sign him on a free, he'll be 30, but next summer he'll be 29. It's significant money. It's not really the profile that someone like Man United go out and sign. I mean, I guess they have in the past with Igalo and Cavani is 34 now. Cavani is one of the best strikers in world football. Obviously, Danny Ings is very, very good. It just seems a little bit, I want to say, unrealistic, maybe. Um, there are other Champions League teams that might be more realistic. And me and Jack have discussed before if Leicester qualify for the Champions League. That is something that I can imagine happening and, and him going to Leicester and wanting to play in the Champions League. That makes sense. But I was just interested in your perspective, Dan. How realistic do you think it is for Danny to be sitting there thinking that someone like City or United is going to come in for him? Well, I think the first thing to say on that is all top-level footballers back themselves to play at the highest level. That's why they become professional in the first place. You don't get to the level that Danny's at, scores the goals he does and plays for England without having that drive and determination to get there so he won't be sitting there thinking oh I'm not good enough for Man United he'll be sitting there thinking I am good enough for Man United now the thing for me and I I agree with pretty much everything you've just said so if you could go through the clubs one by one Mm -hmm. Man City looks like they're going to lose Sergio Aguero Mm -hmm. they're chasing Erling Haaland are they really going to want Danny Ings no disrespect to Ings but if he goes let's say so Erling Haaland hasn't got a release clause this summer, but next summer he will. So next summer, Erling Haaland can go for 75 million. If Man City make a serious play for Erling Haaland, whether this summer or next, but they sign Ings in the meantime, to me, Danny Ings is a stopgap. He is there to, to replace Aguero for a season before the next big striker comes in. That's how I see it. Same as Man United. Man United have got so many attacking players, they don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Why go and get Danny Ings? You've got Rashford. Martial, Greenwood, um, Cavani, who you've just touched on. They've already got an old striker. I mean, Danny Ings isn't old, but they've already got a, a striker yeah. of a certain age who is absolutely fantastic. Um, I think even Danny Ings would admit that Cavani is probably a, a level up from him. So if you're, not, you, if you're United, why do you do that? Because you've got the option to extend Cavani's contract anyway. 
Then you look at Arsenal. Well, Arsenal are in the Champions League. And even if they were, they've got Lacazette and Aubameyang. And they're, 29, yeah. they're 29 and 31. Do they really want another 29-year-old? Maybe, maybe not. Liverpool. Uh, I mentioned in the piece that Liverpool have probably moved on. And I think that that is probably true. I think he would still do a good job for them. They've obviously not been that great in front of goal this season. But would they go back to a player they sold and pay more? I don't think so. That doesn't seem to me that the model that they kind of follow. Um, Chelsea, they've just spent big on swathes of attacking talent. Do they need Danny Ings to come in and do the job? I don't know. Could could that wash? You've just spent £55 million on Timo Werner. Are you going to give up on him after a season? You mentioned Leicester, but then they've got Jamie Vardy, who's a similar player. He can do the same job as Danny Ings, scores as many goals. So why do they want to go and get Danny Ings? It's, you, see, you really could go through club by club and point out why they may not sign him. But ultimately, it could be that they just view Danny Ings as a good option for someone to, for, to have for a year or two, get the most out of him and then move him on. And that we know the richest clubs in England can afford to do that. Man United can afford to pay £30 million for a player that they're going to need for a season. They can do that and that, that's not an issue. But if you're Danny Ings, the key question I think is, he could stay at Saints for another four years and score the goals he does and leave. He could be a hero at Southampton. He, everything around that football club in terms of on, on the pitch really revolves around Danny Ings. You've then got the fact that he start, when he's fit, he starts every week. Do you really want to give that up? And if you, if you give that up, are you going to get into the England team? No, Gareth Southgate's not going to pick a Danny Ings sitting on the bench. But that, Gareth Southgate will pick a Danny Ings scoring 20, 25 goals a season for Southampton. Um, so I think there's so many kind of nuances to it, but I, I tend to agree with the, I don't see where he really fits in at one of the big clubs, unless it's just a stopgap until they go and get the, mm. the, the next big striker. Yeah, I mean, and, and the one I think I didn't mention there is Spurs and you look at, it's going to be back up to Harry Kane if, if that was the case. And I know you, you've mentioned before that we don't really want to do business with Spurs if we can help it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think anyone does. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, in in Simmons' interview, he, he says the, the quote that I picked out that I thought was quite interesting, but he says he has a contract. He'll be with us for that contract. We hope he stays beyond that, but it's his decision. It's not a decision for now. So kind of, are we, as fans, should we not be expecting much movement now before the summer, really? It seems to be that we've reached a little bit of an impasse and realistically, Danny's going to wait and see, see if something changes in the in the landscape of the top four, whereby one of the clubs do need, all of a sudden, do need a striker, in which case he's there, ready and waiting. And if not, then he's going to sign a deal. Um, or do you see that there could be some movement in the next four months or so before the end of the season? Well, I think... Ultimately, after this week, I imagine the, the, the guys negotiating probably need a, a few days breathing space. It's been quite an intense week for everything revolved around Danny Ings, I imagine. So there'll probably be a natural, let's have some time to breathe and get back to the table um, in a couple of weeks or so. Look, the contract is all but there. Yeah, it, everything wages have been agreed the length has been agreed this is ultimately just on an opportunity that may may or may never come so it's how do you at what point do you accept that if you're Danny Ings that's the kind of key, key question Southampton can't really do much more um, no one wants to see them bend over backwards and be bullied around by the big clubs so they've offered a, a 
a salary that he's accepted. They've offered a length he's accepted. It's just, it really is just a case of, if you want it, sign it. Um, so it could be one of those things that gets done. It could be, you know, in two weeks time, Danny might think, actually, do you know what? Or Danny's agent might think, do you know what? Danny, I've not had any kind of firm interest from anyone. This is probably your best bet. And then he signs it and then everyone moves forward and move, moves on. Or it could be a case where Danny's agent thinks, right, let's wait until the summer and see what happens. You'll have a year left on your contract. Let's see if you've got any takers there. And then from Martin's comments, as, as we've kind of touched on already, it almost sounds clear that, well, they'd rather let Danny leave a year later than yeah. sell him in the summer. But I mean, if someone comes in and offers... Mm a decent fee I, I mean I don't know I, I'm not in that position to, to say whether they would or wouldn't but from a business point of view it would almost make sense to if the, the offer was fair mm. and it wasn't you know a silly kind of transfer fee like 15 million if it was more kind of 25-30 then that there gives Southampton the, the ability to go out and buy one or two players themselves and replace Danny so yeah I, it's not something I wouldn't I mean put it this way I wouldn't be surprised if if in like two months he signs that contract, I don't think it's not a case of they're all going to go away now and they're not going to talk about it until the summer. The talks will continue. It's just whether they can get over the kind of the impasse they're at now with the possibility of going to play for a bigger club or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Mainstone, I'll, I'll bring you in here because I know that you've got, you've got some thoughts on, on Danny Ings. Um, and we've talked about it from from kind of, well, we've tried to think about it from Ing's perspective. But as Saints fans, obviously, Saints need to do what's best for the club. Um, and Simmons has talked about the business model a lot. He's very transparent with, with what that means for us as a club if, if other teams that are high up the table do come in for, for our players. Do you think that there's potentially a case for selling him if the price is right this summer? Or do you think that you'd prefer just to keep him and run down his contract and, and get another season out of him? I think it's really difficult because like Dan pointed out, if he does stay for that final season and he does go on a free um, <clears throat> the summer after, he could make he could make our position so much better in his goals that he could earn that money for the club that we would get in selling him anyway. Um, I just think that the model that the club's running by at the moment um, of sustainability, we are self-funded. So I can't see us really looking at good replacements for Danny Ings without us thinking about selling him and getting in some good money for him. Otherwise, we're going to be playing catch-up in terms of looking to get lucky on a cheap signing. Um, and we know how that's played out over the last couple of years. It really is just like potluck. Um, <clears throat> but I mean... On the flip side, if we kind of look at it from clubs like Man United or City or Tottenham, those kind of clubs that he's potentially flirting with, are they going to take the risk in this day and age with the whole COVID pandemic, no fans in a stadium still, we don't know when they're going to come back. Are they then going to be paying the money that we want them to pay for someone that does, like we love Danny to bits, but he is injury, like he does have injury problems, doesn't he? Even this season, he struggled a little bit. Um, he had a really good um, good season in terms of injuries last year but this season's kind of catching up with him and we don't know how that's going to play out so I mean it's a big gamble on both parts and, and like Dan said um, it's whoever flinches first really but I would probably I can't see us see him running down the contract if I'm completely honest just for the whole sustainability issue um, I mean like I say he could fire us to a Europa League finish you never know um, and then the money we get from that would be good but yeah I just I just can't see them letting him go on the free 
Mm-hmm. I think one thing to consider as well, letting his contract run down, obviously he's a, everyone, everyone knows that he's a really popular guy in the dressing room and, you know, one of the senior pros there, but you'd hope that it wouldn't have too much of an impact on the club as a whole, because obviously Hasenhutl talks about players committed, wanting to play for the team. And if you've got a striker that's in his last year of his deal, he's constantly looking for another move, you know, Players like Ward Prowse have committed, Stuart Armstrong have committed, Ryan Bertrand's in talks at the moment. I think Hassan Hootel, a lot of the time he comes out with statements about get on the train because the train's leaving and things like that. So I don't want Danny Ings to leave for 10, 15 million pounds because I feel like we would have been mugged off a little bit by a bigger yeah. club. But on the flip side, as a Southampton fan, do you want to see a player turn out that really does you know see his future elsewhere and fancy himself for a big club so it's difficult I think I think we'll know more in six months time really mm, for sure I mean one of the ones you mentioned there was was Bertrand and Dan I mean there has been transfers or I guess contract speculation around him is there is there any update on Bertrand yeah so on Bertrand um there was obviously the 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 links to Arsenal uh in the week just gone where Arteta I think came out and said he wants a suitable backup for, for Kieran Tierney, who's obviously having a fantastic season. Um, and Ryan Bertrand was mentioned there. I think as a domestic option, um, from what we understand at The Athletic, is that Bertrand has always been kind of admired by Arsenal. But again, it's, it's similar to the... It's similar and it's not to the Danny Ying situation. At the moment, Ryan Bertrand is a starting left-back for Southampton. Is he going to want to go and be a backup at Arsenal? Would you really want to do that at this stage of your career? He's clearly really enjoying his football under Southampton, uh, under Hasenhutl, sorry. Um, and I think even in recent interviews over the last two, three weeks, he said he wants to end his career at Southampton and then perhaps stay beyond that at the club. So I think this is all just kind of white noise, to be honest. I, My personal expectation is that he will sign a contract. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and I think Ralph has alluded to this in, in the past, that the one difficulty I guess you have with Bertrand is that he is 31. So it's what what contract do you offer him? We've seen Shane Long get a two-year contract. Now, in hindsight, is that a wise idea? Probably not. Shane Long just they just don't play the way that suits Shane Long anymore. Mm-hmm. So right. if you're if you're if you're Southampton and let's say, I mean, I don't know what Ryan wants, but let's just say they want to give him two years. Once if Ryan wants three years you're then in a really kind of tricky situation with, well, how do we find a happy medium on this? Is Ryan Bertrand still going to be our starting fullback in three years' time when he's 34? From my point of view, possibly not. But then Ryan wants three... Do you know what? It's it's such a kind of delicate... It's such a really difficult thing to kind of balance out. But ultimately, I think it it will end with with Ryan signing a new contract. I think we've seen, we see stories every transfer window about the clubs coming in for Ryan Bertrand. And from what I understand, I don't think any have actually ever made an offer. So I, I, I put this down to, to more white noise. Yeah. I mean, uh, if it was any other club, I mean, you look at Arsenal and we've already discussed some of the players they've got and the ages that they've, they are and, and the money that they've spent. I'd say that there's absolutely... I couldn't imagine it in a million years in going to Arsenal, but then some of the decisions they've made in the transfer market have been extremely questionable recently. So um, you never know um, them committing money to someone that's going to be a couple of years over 30. Um, you, you just never know. Just to finish up on, um, Dan, thank you very much for your time. Was, is I just wanted to mention Yannick Vestergaard because you did have an article um, out last week um, that was, was really interesting, actually, kind of from his perspective, 
Um, and he's obviously had a little bit of a roller coaster in, in terms of his time at Saints and more difficult start. But before his injury, he was he was one of our best players, if not our best player. Um, what was that like chatting to, to Yannick and, and how would you kind of summarise his career at Saints so far? Yeah, uh, to start with, I, it was a really, really good chat. Um, I spent over an hour with him and we were on Zoom and he was analyzing. I at the athletic we have the we have access to Y Scout and all the different kind of tools that clubs use. So I was able to go through, find loads and loads of clips of all the things I thought he does well and what what people are talking about his game this season. To get him to really break that down is just it's really good. Um yeah, he said he made a comment after we finished recording and he was like, you know, if I was a fan, I'd love that type of type of content. And I think it's true. It's it just gets you into how they're thinking. And when he breaks little things down about why you know, we all enjoy watching that pass to Carl Walker-Peters, but why does mm-hmm. he make that pass? What's the actual benefit of that pass? What are the nuances within that? And when he talks about, because Theo will drift in, the fullback has to then recognise that threat. And then who are they going to be more worried about? Walker-Peters or Theo Walcott? Chances are Theo Walcott. And that then leaves so much space for, for Kyle on the right. Um, so it was a really engaging Really, it's probably one of my favourite pieces I've done since since joining the Athletic. To be honest, I mean, I really enjoyed my interview with Romeo. It was similar, but mm-hmm. we kind of went at it with a different angle. Um, but Yannick, yeah, his his Southampton career has been a been a bit of a, of a weird one. Really, he he was obviously signed as this massive six foot six, six foot seven, whatever he is, centre half, and everyone kind of hoped he'd be the next Van Dyke, and it didn't really it didn't really work out like that. And one of the interesting things he said to me was. I haven't become this player overnight. And I think that is true. Southampton haven't really played this kind of possession game from the back successfully, or they haven't really tried it um, since he came in. So we've never really seen Yannick's best strengths. So I, I have to agree with him that maybe he has always been this this good, but now we're actually seeing it because Ralph is playing a way that, that suits him. And I agree with you. I think he has been easily the club's best player this season. Um, I think prowse has been really good, but Prowse is always really good. But for me, Yannick, you've got Kyle as well. But Yannick, for me, is just a standout. I think he's been been superb and, you know, let's hope his knee injury isn't isn't going to keep him out for too long because he he adds so much to that team. I know Jack's come in and they've kept you know, a handful of clean sheets and I think Jack often gets too easily criticised anyway. I, I, I do think he's a good defender, maybe not as good as Yannick, but just the attacking threat that Yannick can provide from controlling the game at the back is is what Southampton are missing at the moment. You know, I've written in the past about how they're kind of lacking that sort of creative spark and attack. They're not scoring as, as often as they were. And I think Yannick opens up so many avenues for them in that sense. You know, he's a giant at corners. He's, he can play a wonderful pass that can split a defence. Um, so yeah, he's been, he's been fantastic. And again, it was a piece I really enjoyed sort of writing and doing and, you know, getting an hour, just over an hour of footballer's time is always difficult. So for him to be yeah. gracious with it is something I, of course, appreciate as well. Yeah, I mean, it really, it really came across. And one of the one of the bits that's just jumped out, that jumped out at me now, remembering was the clip. I think it's from the Brighton game where he's kind of talking about how the decisions that they're making as a back four now, and him particularly, are kind of have become automatic. And I know that's something that Ralph talks about a lot. But there's one one instance in particular where I think in the past potentially the defense might have just dropped off. Can't remember who the, it was. It was a ball through maybe to Welbeck or somebody, and um, they would have dro- dropped off. But now it's kind of it's very much front foot defending, and 
you've kind of got a screenshot in in the um, in the article, and from there you'd think, okay, the logical thing to do is just to drop ten yards yeah. and to try and retreat. But you can see Yannick absolutely storming <laughs> out to meet the meet the attacker, and it looks like an incredibly risky play. But that's actually what Ralph wants to do because it forces the attacker into a decision and then you can turn the ball over and, and get on the front foot again. Yeah, and that that for me, and Yannick said it, and I, I, when you go into these interviews, you kind of hope that a certain clip will evoke a certain line or or something. Mm-hmm. And I, the, 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 there's more to that clip than just Yannick winning the ball. There's the element of Yannick has now left his striker. So that means Jan Bednarek has to come across. Then that means... Jan Bednarek's striker is now free. So that means Carl Walker-Peters will have to come across. And well, now what about the winger? Who's going to mark the winger? Well, that's where the number 10 drops back. And that is something that Yannick explained was the most difficult, difficult thing for all of those defenders to learn. Because as a defender, you're so used to being told to stick with your marker. But what they all have to do now is just trust the system and trust that if one of them makes that brave decision to, to run out of their position and try and win the ball back, that the guy in behind them was gonna, is going to come across and cover the player like Ralph wants them to. Um, I remember speaking to Carl Walker-Peters before Christmas and he said for him, that was the most difficult part of learning what Hassan Hunter wants him to do is having that where he's been so used to always being told, stick with your winger, stick with your man, stick with your man, to, to all of a sudden kind of switch off from that and trust that there's going to be someone else coming in behind you because Ralph wants you to come across and cover the, the other centre-half. I think that is... That really explains what Ralph's system is all about it from a defensive point of view. And I think Yannick kind of touches on that, that Ralph wants him to do that. He wants him to be aggressive and be on the front foot. Don't stand around and think about it. Just go and do it. Because mm-hmm. by the time you've stood around and thought about it, it's too late. Wilberg's running at you with the ball. Um, and then Jan Bedrick will come in and, and cover you. So for me, that was a really interesting part of the, the conversation with Yannick. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely fascinating. Dan, thank you. I feel like we've taken up um, more of your time than, we, than we'd said initially, but thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. Um, and I guess the way we'll leave it is we'll just wait and see. We wait and see on Danny Ings. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I mean, it's probably taken long because I talk a lot. So, but I've really enjoyed it. That's always a good sign if I'm on here talking a lot. So I've really enjoyed you guys having me on. So thank you. Thanks, Dan. Cheers, Dan.